Welcome back to Atheist Reading. I'm your host, Sean. Thanks for joining me today as we dive into Genesis chapter 5. It's a little boring here because there's not a whole lot going on in this one, uh, but we do have an extra segment on the end of today's show, so stick around and let's dive in. Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created them, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived a hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness, and after his image, and called his name Seth. Well, I have to say, that's pretty impressive for a hundred and thirty year old. Though Eve would have been about the same age, so it can't have been all that great. They did start, um, or did they start life at 20 years old and go from there, so maybe like 150, or maybe 160. Uh, you know, I don't know if that counts towards the 130 years, because I imagine God didn't make um, an infant as the first human. Um, and also, why are the supposed sins of two 20 or 30 year olds passed on to all the rest of mankind? doesn't really seem fair. I didn't, uh, I'm not the one that did that. Anyway, um, verse 4 here. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were 800 years, and he begot sons and daughters. I'm sorry, 800 years? Are you kidding me? People don't live to be 800 years, although I suspect you don't need me to tell you that. Uh, verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Oh, apparently 930. I spoke too soon. Uh, what is this crap, though? Everyone knows this isn't possible. And didn't God tell Adam that he would die the same day he ate of the tree of knowledge? This God character is uh, a liar, or, you know, maybe just not very bright. Possibly both. Okay, and Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Mahalalel. And Canaan lived after he begat Mahalalel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. And Mahalalel lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. All these people are having kids when they're old. Why, don't they know you can have kids when you're like 20 or 30 and it works out a lot better? So 65 years and begat Jared, and Mahalio lived after he begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Mahalio were 895 years and he died. And Jared lived 162 years and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 and 2 years and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. Walked with the, okay. Um, and all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty-five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I I don't know if that means that he died or God took him alive or did God just take him on a long walk on the beach? Who knows? Um, and Methuselah lived a hundred. 80 and 7 years, and begat Lamech. 
and Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 in two years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died, and Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son, and called his name Noah. This, na this name shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Well, why did he curse the ground? And what, what the hell does that even mean? Uh, Lamech lived after he begat Noah 595 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Wow, 500 years old, still popping them out. Or knocking her up, I guess, when she's popping them out. Uh, well, anyway, uh, this was a fairly uneventful chapter. The writer was just making outlandish claims for how long people were living. I do find myself wondering if the author was just writing a book and never thought that anyone would even think to believe that this was literally true. But yeah, that's going to gonna wrap it up for chapter 5. But since this was a really short and rather uneventful chapter, we're not going to be done with today's episode yet. I want to take a minute to talk about something that bothers me. I want to talk about the burden of proof. I know most of you listening probably know what it is, but there are still so many people who don't. And so often I see theists get away with, sh with shifting the burden of disproof to us. The burden of proof logical fallacy occurs when someone falsely places the burden of proof, or rather disproof oftentimes, on the party not making the claim. One example of the burden of proof fallacy would be Russell's teapot. And I like this one. Russell's teapot is an analogy made by Bertrand Russell to illustrate this fallacy, specifically in reference to religion, actually. Uh, Russell posited that there was a teapot in orbit around the sun, somewhere between Earth and Mars, and because nobody could disprove him, then it must be there. This is just to point out that it's similar to a theist saying that God exists because God has never been proven not to exist. One of uh, the best examples I can provide for the burden of proof is um, from Harry Potter, Hermione. I'm going to read you just a short excerpt from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, demonstrating this fallacy perfectly. The character Xenophilius Lovegood has made a claim that a magical stone called the Resurrection Stone exists. What about the stone, Mr. Lovegood? The thing you call the Resurrection Stone? What of it? Well, how can that be real? Prove that it is not, said Xenophilius. Hermione looked outraged. But that's... I'm sorry, but that's completely ridiculous. How can I prove... How can I possibly prove it doesn't exist? Do you expect me to get a hold of, of all the pebbles in the world and test them? I mean, you could claim that anything's real if the only basis for believing in it is that nobody's proved it doesn't exist. If you assert that there is a god, then the onus is on you to provide evidence for that claim. If you say a god exists and I say, well, first, I would say, which god? If we're talking about the Christian god, then you're obliged to provide evidence. Well, if you're talking about any god, then you're obliged to provide evidence. But for this context, I was going to use the Christian god, because that's what we're talking about here. Um, if I do not find the arguments compelling or the evidence valid, then I'm simply able to discard your proposition. And to quote the late and great Christopher Hitchens, that which can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. You simply cannot say to me God exists because you can't disprove it. It is a blatant logical fallacy, a cowardly declaration, and the claim comes across as disingenuous to me. It shows me that you put so little effort and thought into the positions that you hold. The type of person that claims this is a tape recorder, parroting whatever they're told by an authority figure without any thought or question into the validity of the affirmation. I actually do feel a bit bad for people like this. Most of them are so indoctrinated into this way of thinking that any doubt that passes through their head is quarantined, never to be spoken of, and dismissed as the devil or a demon tampering with their thoughts. 
That's why it's so important to me to try and get people thinking about what it is that they believe or they're supposed to believe by their, you know, the tenets of their religion. I want people to become free thinkers and skeptics, but I want them to arrive at this conclusion by the labor of their own mind. This is already, this podcast has already become a great outlet for me. It's somewhere I can go to unload my thoughts and frustrations and interact with the skeptic and atheist community. It is not something I am able to do really during my everyday life, and it's kind of an itch I've been looking to scratch for some time now, um, and I'm optimistic that I'll keep having fun, and in theory, I'm helping people to think for themselves, since that is my ultimate goal, after all. Thanks for listening today. I know I did ramble on a little bit there, but uh, we're going to wrap it up for the day. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, give it a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you can find podcasts. If you have questions, comments, or general feedback, you can email me at atheistreading at gmail.com, tweet to at atheist underscore reading on Twitter, or head over to the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash atheistreading to join the conversation, and if you feel like it, you can make an ep- a uh, per-episode donation. Episodes are released on a bi-weekly basis, which to save you from having to Google that like I did means once every two weeks, and episodes air on Thursday mornings for everyone or Wednesday morning uh, for patrons. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you again in two weeks.